Well, good morning, and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Evan Bray, very excited about my next guest. It's not every day you get to talk to an astronaut. This is exciting stuff. Uh, we have got Jeremy Hansen joining us on the phone this morning. Jeremy is with the Canadian Space Agency. He is also about to become the first Canadian astronaut to journey to the moon when Artemis II takes off next fall. We're really glad to have him joining us now. Thank you very much for taking our call, Jeremy. It's my pleasure. So uh, maybe you've been asked this question a thousand times already, but did you know you wanted to be an astronaut when you were growing up? Yeah, I did, in fact. I mean, a lot of my astronaut colleagues have different stories. Not everybody started out thinking they want to do that, but I did. I have this uh, recollection of seeing an image of a it was either Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin standing on the moon in Encyclopedia A under Neil Armstrong. And I went back to that page so many times over my childhood, just imagining what it would be like to explore space. It really inspired me. Just that, that one image. I changed my treehouse into a spaceship, and I was exploring space in my imagination. Well, we're excited to, to hear about your upcoming mission. Tell us a bit about it and what the mission is hoping to accomplish. So the Artemis II mission is uh, the second mission in this campaign. Uh, Artemis 1 was an uncrewed mission of a new rocket, a new capsule that's designed to go into deep space, so therefore take us to the moon. Artemis 2 is the first time we put humans on this system, so Artemis 1 had no crew on it. We flew it remotely, did very well overall, and now we're, we're going to figure out how to put crew on it. Uh, our mission for 2 is to basically test this capsule, and uh, we won't land on the moon. We won't have a lunar lander. It's not built yet. So our job is to do all the test flying of this vehicle for the first time, we'll orbit the Earth for about a day, giving us a chance to check things out, make sure the systems do everything they're supposed to do, that they can keep us alive for the next eight days. And then if that goes well, then we'll do our translunar injection, which means we'll, we'll burn our engines to head out to the moon, accelerate and fly around the moon and come back. And That'll take about another eight days. And then we'll splash down the Pacific Ocean. During that time, we'll do a bunch of Test, test flying the capsule, exercise, stressing the CO2 removal systems, just a long list of things, about, I guess, eight days' worth of work that we'll be doing out there um, to try and figure all that stuff out. And then ultimately, Artemis will take humans back to the moon on the future Artemis missions, and eventually we've got our eyes set on Mars. Wow. Jeremy Hansen is my guest today, astronaut with the Canadian Space Agency. What has training been like for this, and how long have you been training for this specific mission? Yeah, we started training in earnest probably June of last year. Um, It's very diverse training, and and sometimes training is not the right word because we're developing. We're we're sort of co-developing things with a team of experts on individual systems. So you can imagine we sit in a simulator and we're able to like go through procedures, simulate what we would do with certain failures, et cetera, or even just how to operate the systems nominally. So we spent a lot of time with that control team, the mission control team, figuring those things out. Uh, we have a test coming up where we're going to go out to the Pacific Ocean and put a capsule out there. We'll get in it. We'll be bobbing around the Pacific, and then the U.S. Navy will come and, and retrieve us just like they will after the real mission. So we'll do a full dress rehearsal for that. We've already done a full dress rehearsal for launch day where we go out to Florida to the Kennedy Space Center as if we're in quarantine, sleep there, wake up, have our briefing, our breakfast, and then go out to the rocket, 
and all, how that all gets orchestrated. And then, you know, we even simulate a day that we don't launch and we have to scrub and then we have to reverse all that and get back uh, into quarantine. So these are the kinds of things we do along the way. What's been the hardest part of the process so far for you? Is there one part that you find more challenging than the rest? No, not not so much like a specific part. I'd say the real challenge is just the volume of things and the amount of work that you could do and the amount of outreach you could do as well. You know, you and I speaking like this, there's there's a lot of potential to uh, you know to do lots of great things um, and enable the team to make an even bigger contribution. And so it's just a matter of prioritizing. I think it's, it feels just like regular life from that point of view. You know, there's always more that you could do than you actually have time to. So that's probably the biggest challenge. I'm fortunate that I have an extraordinary team of people around me. I mean, I, I use that term a lot, but I do not take it lately. I, I knew for full well I could not do this without that team. Um, extraordinary people at the Kane Space Agency, at NASA, with our other international partners, and just everybody chipping in to, to make it happen. It's really impressive to watch, actually. Jeremy Hansen, my guest, an astronaut with the Canadian Space Agency and becoming the first Canadian astronaut to journey to the moon. So I'm curious, what has your career looked like up till now? You don't just one day put your hand up and say, I'll go to the moon, and you get to jump on board. Uh, take us through some of the highlights of your career to this point. Sure. Um, I had this goal early on, as we talked about um, air cadets. i got to mention it because that was an incredible youth program that sort of set me on a path, taught me a lot of self-discipline, leadership skills, and probably confidence. I, I was pretty shy as a young farm boy, and uh, you know, getting up in front of people was just not something I was super comfortable doing. So air cadets really pushed me in that area. I joined the Royal Canadian Air Force, became a fighter pilot. I'm still an active-duty member of the Air Force, and the Air Force is celebrating its 100th anniversary this april 1st which is pretty extraordinary so i'm a proud member of the of the canadian forces still today and then in 2008 the Canadian space agency simply announced they were looking to hire astronauts and i applied and there were lots of people applied and you go through a process you definitely have to show up with the right skill sets but truly when it comes down to it you need a little luck on your side because if canada needed a thousand astronauts they could find them i guarantee you and so you need a little bit of luck as well and then I moved down to the Johnson Space Center here in Houston, Texas, where I'm speaking to you from today. And, uh, and you train. You just do your basic training as an astronaut. That takes about two years. And then after that, you're just waiting for an opportunity for you to fly in space. And so during that time, you're just part of that team I was talking about. I worked in mission control. I developed spacewalks. I did uh, some expeditionary training where I lived under the ocean for a week, for example. I mean, lots of extraordinary opportunities working in the space program along the way. And then now it's simply my turn to fly in space. It's outstanding. We're, we're super excited for you. I know you've done lots of talks with school, uh, aged children, and, and different students in Canada. What, what's a message that you give them if, if you're looking at someone who is looking up at you the same way you looked at that picture of Buzz Aldrin in the encyclopedia? Uh, what would you give them for a message to inspire them to maybe pursue this career? pretty simple for me when I look back on it. It's always simple looking backwards, but it's just knowing what you want to do. And so for me, I had a goal. I knew what I was interested in. And then what I share with youth is the most important thing you have to do is share that goal with other people um, because you don't do anything of significance in your life by yourself. And when I look back, I realized it was a lot of other people who sort of shaped the path for me because they knew what I was trying to do and they were able to help me in ways that I would never have imagined. 
And so set goals, share them with other people, and then you, you'll, you know, you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish. And the other thing I, I share with, with youth, but all Canadians really is, you know, that's just so important for us as a, as a human race is setting these big goals. That's why I'm so proud of the space program because we set really big goals. And then what you see is because everybody's kind of focused by this goal, people come out of the woodwork and they bring their extraordinary gifts to accomplish the seemingly impossible. And I, I know that sounds like quite a statement, but it, it, it is true. And I've seen it time and time again, things that we originally think we're not sure can actually be done. I see them get accomplished by these teams focused by big goals. And so as a human race, we got big challenges right now, but if we continue to set big goals and their creative goals where we can bring people together to solve them, create these solutions, I think we can accomplish and tackle these big problems. I'm sure it's a question that you've had before, Jeremy, and, and certainly I'm guessing your family gets the question as well, but uh, do you have any nerves? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a regular human. I get scared like everybody else, and uh, I'm well aware that there's risk involved in the mission. In fact, we, we talk a lot about the risks. I mean, that's how we mitigate them is trying to dream up like all the ways we could lose the crew on a mission like this. And how are we going to mitigate them if we run into them? And so we're trying to dream up all the possible ways we could we could uh, lose the crew in space, and then come up with a plan on how we'll overcome them. And but you also actually I should say it gives you a lot of confidence that you know as a team we will be able to overcome those challenges. And so I'm very optimistic and confident that we'll survive the mission. But you have to be realistic too when you ever you accept risks, and we will accept some risks. They can back up in ways that can end up with a loss of crew. It's just a reality of space exploration. And uh, and that that will be a little scary to think about. And I don't lose any sleep about it now over it now, but um you know, I've I've often you know, I've realized, you know, in the days leading up to launch when I'm saying goodbye to the family, I'll definitely be thinking about these things, you know, am I saying goodbye for the last time and have I taken care of everything I, I needed to do just in case I don't come back. Um, and yeah, that'll be a little bit stressful and scary. But the other thing I've learned through operations and working in the military is that when it comes down to showtime, um, that sort of fades in the background. You just sort of compartmentalize it and you just get down to work. And I'm not worried at all about being scared on, on the day of launch. Astronaut Jeremy Hansen, my last question, uh, and maybe it's even too premature to ask, but you're a young guy. Uh, you're going to be going to the moon before you're even 50. Anything else on your bucket list? You know, it really comes down to what I said before. Um, I I travel across Canada uh, with this job. It's really a unique opportunity that I have with this job. I meet our industry. I meet our academia. And I, I just see the extraordinary things Canada is already doing, but I also see a lot of untapped potential. And I don't know what I'll, what my, you know, my path will be after this mission, but I do, what I do know is I see a lot of opportunity for Canada, specifically in space. And Here's just a couple of, of reasons why. One, um, as a global market, we expect the space economy to triple over the next 15 years. It's a pretty extraordinary opportunity when something will triple. Canada is already really well positioned in the space industry. We have our niche areas, but it just doesn't fall in your lap either. You've got to go after it. You've got to be hungry for it. I think there's a lot of work for Canada to do to make the right investments um, to work really hard to dig in and have our share of that future space economy and to grow our share of the global space economy, which would be you know good for Canadians, good for our economy, good for jobs of the future, 
but also great to have Canada's, you know, I'd, I'd say moral compass, um, you know, using space to help everyone live better on the planet. And the other reason to, you know, use space and invest in space is often when you create a space solution for a terrestrial problem, which is what we do, um, you don't create a regional solution, you create a global solution, an exportable solution, but something that it can affect every single human on the planet. And I just, I just love when I look at the potential and the ideas that people have. I just want to help them achieve them. This is good. Inspirational stuff, Jeremy. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and we look forward to hopefully checking in with you again before uh, the big day. Yeah, I'd love to come back and then speak to your listeners again. I appreciate you having me. Jeremy Hansen, Canadian astronaut with the Canadian Space Agency, and he will have the distinction of being the first Canadian astronaut to journey to the moon. The Artemis II journey, it's inspirational. I love listening to him talk about it. It's such a real real guy like talking about yeah uh, yeah you want to know if i'm scared yeah i mean i'm a human being absolutely there are so many ways this can go wrong but uh, just the amount of practice that they do for every possible scenario that could go wrong uh boy we'll be watching september of 25 is when that is set to take flight and uh, we'll be watching that for sure it'll be a monumental thing for us here in canada you're listening to 980 cjme and 650 ckom well, the weather is such that much of the province not really worrying about road conditions right now. Pretty much a clear shot anywhere you go. But, you know, that highway hotline is a pretty important feature for us in the province. We had the Saskatchewan Minister of Highways, Lori Carr, on the show with us just last week. And we talked about the highway hotline and the 50 cameras that are connected to the highway hotline. I don't know if you've used these or not, but if you go onto the website, I'm on there right now. You can click on Smeaton, for example. And you go, oh, yeah, okay, highway is clear. Looks like it's pretty sunny in Smeaton. And on the other hand, if you want to go, let's click on another one. You go across to Good Spirit. Again, sunny, highway looks good. And there's a timestamp on there. It shows 1153 was when this, this picture was taken of the highway and of the conditions there as well. So I think that's such a good feature. And I, and I gave Minister Carr my feedback that I think that's just a great enhancement to the highway hotline. Well, now they've done one step further. They've got a track my plow feature. It's a pilot project that allows you to go on and see the path of the ministry's snow plows as they do snow and ice control on Saskatchewan's highways. So if you think about that, the province has got about 300 snow plows and 90% of them are going to be equipped, equipped with this tracking technology. So you'll be able to not only see what the road conditions are like, but you'll have a good idea of where the plows are, where they're headed. I think this is great stuff, and I give the province a lot of credit for it. I think it's a, a great enhancement of the highway hotline, which, yeah, today you and I aren't desperately going there and using it, but it is a great feature for sure. And uh, any of us that need to navigate our way around this province in the wintertime, it's an essential piece of it. Well, we started the show today talking with Jamie Smith-Windsor, who's the president of the Saskatchewan School Boards Association. This was a big interview because we hadn't heard from them yet. We've been talking education and some of the challenges that we see in the province for quite some time. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I want to revisit that interview. It was a great interview this morning. We're going to uh, revisit that coming up just after 12. And during that discussion with the president of the Saskatchewan School Boards Association, you'll get answers to the questions, classroom complexity, is it a big issue? Should it be inside the teacher's contract? 
Does the province fund education properly? Do boards need more control of the money and how it's spent? And how do you maintain positive relationships with the province and teachers during a very challenging labor dispute like we're seeing here? All of those answers contained in the discussion that we'll have with the president of the Saskatchewan School Boards Association next here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.